0: Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Producer Joe, how are you today? I'm doing good, man. What a, what a day yesterday. Oh my huh? gosh, I know. Holy Me and cow. Joe have been very busy running into each other face-to-face, finally. <laughs> the, the the dream team, the Wonder Twins, activate <laughs> <laughs> back in D.C. <laughs> but we've pretty much, Joe, wouldn't you say, been at it for about... 48 hours straight now. What a day. I'm, I'm everywhere I'm looking, there you are. Oh, and, gosh, I mean, there's... all over Washington, and I was over there working with yeah, CR, CR Group. So, man, what a day. I've slept like four hours, folks. I'm not even kidding. But I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not making this up. I said once for you new <laughs> listeners that I was at a CPAC speech once, and Ann Coulter was very sick, and she opened up the speech by saying she was sick, and I said, you know, I shouldn't have done that because I felt bad for her the whole time, and I could was distracted. I always promised if I was ever not, you know, into it or didn't, I would never do the show. So if I'm here, I'm pretty stoked about doing it. And <laughs> after last night's speech, there's just so much to talk about. Um, some breaking news again, I think... Uh on this speech uh, on the, not just the speech but on the trump investigation too joe there's apparently a second dossier so now the first <laughs> crappy dossier wasn't enough so now we need a second crappy dossier just in case the first crappy <laughs> dossier falls apart talk uh, about your wonder twins yeah, oh my god go. the wonder twins of crappy dossiers so i gotta get to that i got a few other things i gotta really Um, Good source that's communicated some quality information to me as well. Today's show brought to you by buddies at iTarget. Folks, listen, anybody can uh, fire a firearm, okay? It's not difficult. You pull the trigger and a bullet comes out. You know, that's how this works. Now, the question is, can you fire a firearm accurately and hit what you're shooting at? Whether you're a hunter, police officer, military, self-defense, marksmanship matters. We used to we, have to, sh- we used to have to shoot once a month in the Secret Service, and it was long, and after a while, you just got tired of doing it. You know, you'd have to go to the range, you'd have to clean your gun up, you'd have to find parking outside the range, and listen, the range is necessary, folks, but a lot of times you just want to practice in the comfort and security of your own home. That's where the iTarget Pro system comes in. It's the letter I, iTargetPro.com. That's iTargetPro.com. What is iTarget? It is, they'll send you a laser bullet you drop in the firearm you have now. You don't have to do any manipulations or changes to the gun at all. You don't have to change the barrel out. You don't have to do anything. You have a Glock 43 like I do. You have a Sig Sauer. You have a Smith & Wesson. It's 9mm, whatever it may be. You drop that laser bullet in there. When you dry fire the trigger, after safely unloading the weapon, check it, check it twice, check it three times, look, listen, feel, do anything you have to do to make sure that gun is unloaded, you'll drop in this... this uh, Laser bullet. When you press the trigger in a dry fire, it's going to emit a laser onto a target they send you. You're going to be able to see where your rounds go. It comes with this phone app that is so cool. And you're going to see your groupings on a Monday and your groupings on a Friday are going to be so much different if you practice during the week. You'll be shooting the wings off a fruit fly. This is a great system. I highly recommend it. As a former Secret Service agent, folks, this really matters to me. Marksmanship matters. Go check it out. It's iTarget Pro. That's the letter I itargetpro.com, itargetpro.com. One more time, itargetpro.com, promo code DAN, you'll get 10% off. Remember, competitive shooters dry fire 10 times more than they live fire because dry fire is where it's at, folks. That's where you're going to learn your trigger control and your sight alignment. Go check it out. Okay. Um, Regarding uh, last night's speech, first I want to hit just a couple points before I move on to some other stuff. So I thought one of the more telling moments of the night, folks, and it shows where the Democrat Party is. And I won't—I don't want you to ever forget this—is the portion of the speech where Trump mentioned that Americans are dreamers, too. Now, it's it's interesting because I've I've kind of hammered this yeah. point on my, my Twitter often about the language Democrats use to win the arguments in advance. When we start referring to people, Joe, as dreamers who are here illegally, um, you've automatically ceded the moral high ground in the state. I mean, Joe, think about it, right? Who wants to deport a dreamer, right? You don't want to deport right. a dreamer. Right. Yeah. They're dreaming. They're dreaming of things. Dreaming is good. <laughs> Folks, the Democrats... Own the messaging game for the longest time. Now, I've mentioned this theory before, but I'm going to tell you why. Uh, 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 Why they own the messaging game, that is. Someone said this to me a long time ago, and I never forgot it because they were absolutely right. They said, Here's the problem with it, and you've heard this before, Joe. I see you nodding your head. The Republican Party, the donor base, a lot of the people who contribute to the party and guide where the party is going to go, the, a lot of high-end activists and people like that—people who want to point the principal ideological direction of the party in this direction, right? They are had and have been traditionally, you know, natural resources folks, the, petro, the petroleum industry, um, commodities folks, right? People who are in commoditized fields where marketing doesn't matter much. I promise this will make sec- uh, sense in a second. Okay, don't don't lose me on this. The people who guide the Republican Party and support it are generally people in commodities type fields. Marketing is not a big portion of their business. I mean, Joe, if you're selling gasoline, it's like, well, you know, wh- what is marketing? It's like, buy my gasoline. It smells like real gasoline. Yeah, Come There's yeah. really nothing to say. It's kind of it like sells itself. Yeah. it sells itself. It's a commoditized product. Right. The Democrats activist donor base. That's not the case. You have tech people, you have like the Apple Google crowd. These people, their entire lives are marketing. These are people who go out there and they have to make like, you know, the iPhone sexy and, you know, Beats headphones and all of that stuff. They have to, and marketing is their thing. They can sell ice to an Eskimo, right? As they say, that is what they do. The Democrats have owned us on messaging. We finally have a president based on that State of the Union last night. Finally, who has figured out that the problem with the uh, the Republican Party is not the message. It's the messaging. What he said last night, a couple of those lines, and granted, I don't want to be hyperbolic or exaggerate. The State of the Union, he'll get a small bump out of it, and you know, a week later, people will forget. But it's the accumulation over time of collective small bumps, which lead to an overall bump in presidential approval, which leads to re-election. So I don't want to downplay it either. But he said a couple of things, Joe, last night. You and I were there at CRTV doing the coverage there. Mm-hmm. And he brought up that line that Americans are dreamers too, and I thought, yes, finally, a president who senses a weak spot with the Democrats, folks. The Democrats have TDS so bad, Trump derangement syndrome so bad. They are so emotionally invested in hating the president that the Democrats forgot what I just told you. Yep. It has been. Wouldn't you agree, Joe? It has been their 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 superiority in learning messaging, not the message. It's different. That has constantly enabled them to beat us back and beat us back despite having superior party platform. Now we got a president who seized on the moment. The Democrats, what do the Democrats call a show? We're deplorables. We didn't build that. American exceptionalism is no different than Greek exceptionalism, as Obama uh, alluded to that time in the speech. And Americans were like, wait, what? This is crazy. Now all of a sudden you have a president up there that sees this weak spot and boom, right cross, left talk. Right away, Americans are dreamers, too. Bang. Powerful moment in the speech. A couple other quick things on it. Um, you're going to see a lot of coverage, and I, you know, you'll know, you have talk radio on all day. And I think one of the things, Joe, and I do different is we try to focus on stuff people aren't talking about. Um, yeah. So I don't want to waste your time. But uh, there were a couple other standout parts. One of them was the Congressional Black Caucus, and I brought this up on Fox last night. Congressional Black Caucus, uh, which is really all Democrats. Man. Did you find that a little odd, Joe, that Trump gets up there? He starts touting the lowest black unemployment rate in in decades. I'm not going to say it because the, the way they measure it over time and underemployment. But we can confidently say, you and I, Joe, that black unemployment, the black unemployment rate is very, very low right now. In other words, the economy yeah. is doing quite well for black America. Trump starts talking about that. This is, wouldn't you agree, Joe, a nonpartisan success story? I would certainly hope so. Uh, you yeah. damn right. Well, you would hope so. And you would hope wrong because, of course, the Democrats, you know, screwed us over again. What do they do? The Congressional Black Caucus sits on their hands. They don't even get up to clap. And folks, again, this is the Democrat Party falling apart because they are obsessed with Trump derangement syndrome rather than giving him just a small victory and a small moment for him. To, to a, a, a nonpartisan moment for everybody to say, OK, you know what? There have been some issues in all communities, but the black community unemployment remained stubbornly high under the Obama administration. Now we can get up and clap. It's not really a Trump thing. It's our thing. Right. They, I mean, this is them talking. They didn't even mm-hmm. do that sat on their hands the whole time. What a disgrace. A total disgrace, folks. So I have a really interesting article in the show notes today at Bongino.com. Please uh, subscribe to my email list there. Sorry to hound you about it, but it really helps us get the message out. But a really good piece from the Daily Signal that covers some of the other highlights of the speech. But uh, I'll leave you with this. I thought it was a great speech. I thought it was aspirational. I thought the part about annihilating terrorists was uh, was terrific we're not sending them to sandals anymore we're not sending them to the poconos we're not sending them to to a hawaiian beach yes we're killing terrorists who want to kill us that's how people talk and you know one more thing and i'm sorry i just i i have so much to say this morning i just trying to like motor through these topics because i want to make sure i get you the, the good stuff last night while on a panel i was trying to explain the trump phenomenon and why why Trump, despite not having the most polished or, or 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 eloquent speeches, Joe, why what he says resonates so many millions of people? And I brought up the fact that there there were two things about Trump's personality that I think I understand, not uniquely, but because I grew up under similar circumstances. What you know, obviously, I'm not a billionaire like he is, but uh, Trump is a Queens guy, Joe. I'm from mm-hmm. Queens, New York. And the thing about Queens, New York, guys, this explains a lot about Trump. Don't forget this, folks, ever. When you grow up in Queens, you're never – everybody has a chip on their shoulder, everyone, in Queens. And there's a reason. I don't say in a bad way. I was a Queens kid. Because the Brooklyn kids and the Bronx kids are the tough guys. They are. They're just – it's just – it's tattooed on you. You're from Brooklyn? Yeah. Oh, you must be tough. Hey. Yeah. You're from Brooklyn. Yeah. Hey, yo, That's just yeah. the way it is. You're from Brooklyn. You are automatically assumed to be tough. The Queens kids never had that built-in edge, so they were always like, you know, you you always want to – you have a chip on your shoulder. You almost want to start a fight, Joe, with a Brooklyn guy just to show him you're tough, too. I mean, maybe that's why I do martial arts and mixed martial arts and grappling and boxing. I don't know. But that's Queens, right? Not only that, they don't have the the money or prestige of the Manhattan kids. So it's on one end, you're not as tough and edgy and streetwise, or this is his perception, by the way, I'm not talking about reality, but you're not as tough and edgy and streetwise as the Brooklyn kids, but you're never going to get the social acceptance of the wealthy elites like the Manhattan kids do. So there's an edge on both sides. And you see these Queens kids always having to prove themselves. And that's one of the reasons, and folks, I'm not covering for anybody. I'm certainly not trying to provide messaging air cover for Trump here. I'm just trying to explain to you, why he talks and does the things he does, but I totally get it. This is Queens guys because of that edge and the need to always kind of impress people because they've always, you know, not as tough as the Brooklyn kids or as rich as a Manhattan kids show. Mm-hmm. They all talk like he does. Do we exaggerate stuff? You know, it's like I was given an example the other day when, you know, when I was growing up, I, you know, I used to go in this bagel store that was next door to my house and i I'd, I'd get, Babe, the bagels were really good. And I remember chatting with the guy one day and, you know, you'll tell a story about the guy who owned a bagel store, this guy Cosmo. And you'd be like, man, Cosmo, this Cosmo is rich. He's worth like 40 million. Meanwhile, the guy's worth like 400,000, but th- everybody gets it. That's, you're not. <laughs> yeah, now, right, Joe, you're laughing, but as, 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 uh, uh, Joe's an honest guy. You know, Joe's a church going guy to Joe. That's a lie. Right, Joe? I, you said he's worth 40 million. He's worth. Yeah, sure. But to a Queens guy, it's not because the Queens guys understand that there's always a built in level of 10 times exaggeration. So it's not a lie to the Queens guy because the Queens guy who's talking to the Queens guy understands that 400 million or 40 million really means 400,000. You get what I'm saying? We're going to do. <laughs> you, you see where I'm going with that, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, what, that, that's a Queens thing. Okay. Now. That explains away the exaggeration portion of, of, uh, of, of Trump. He, that's just how guys talk. But the builder portion of him and why he's, he's got this bravado. And the reason I'm even mentioning this is because a lot of that came out in the speech last night. Like a big aspirational speech. Like we're going to chest puff a little bit. We're going to kill terrorists. Americans are dreamers. This is great. But he was a builder, too. And the thing about builders in New York, is, my father was a building inspector and he's he dealt with people like uh, Trump his entire life. When you're a builder in New York, you have to deal with things. Builders elsewhere don't have to deal with to the degree you have to in New York. You have to deal with unions, Joe. You have to deal with the mob. You have to deal with city inspectors all the time. You have to deal with inflated contractor prices. So when you're a builder in New York, you have to be tough. And um, Gavin McGinnis brought this up on yeah. the panel last night uh, off the air. and It was a great point he said that some elitist Republican one time told him that he didn't like Trump because Trump wasn't a handshake guy. Well, I don't know if you heard this Joe, in the control, room, but it was an excellent point. Gavin brought up the guy who told Gavin, this meant like if Trump shook hands on a deal, that sometimes he goes, the guy told Gavin, like sometimes he would stiff contractors. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, but I heard it. Gavin was like, he goes, you know what? If I was smarter at the time and I knew what I knew now, I would have responded. He goes, but I didn't. And, he wasn't stiffing contractors. The difference in New York doing business, if you understand builders in New York, is Joe, you'll get a bill from a contract. It'll say, hey, this service is $100. Meanwhile, 50 of its fluff built in. And then at yep. the end of the contract, they'll be like, oh, by the way, price changed. It's now 200 So Trump would come back to the table being the queen's builder he was and be like, no, no, we said $100. we are paying 100 Well, did he really get stiffed? Or was it Trump doing business in New York and trying to maintain some integrity for his business? Folks, that's what I'm, tr- I'm not apologizing for the guy. I'm just telling you, I'm trying to explain away why you get this exaggerated language and why you get this this, this tough kind of edgy talk when he does a deal with people, because that's what he's had to do his whole life. And I think that came out last night in the State of the Union. So a lot of it was aspirational, as with most State of the Unions, you know, not much of it's probably likely to happen, but I thought it was a good speech nonetheless. All right, I got a lot more to get to. Uh, Today's show also brought to you by our buddies at Filter By. Folks, we love Filter By. You got to change your air filters in your house. It's winter now. It's cold. It's been freezing everywhere from Dallas to Minneapolis to New York to D.C., where we are today. You're going to spend a lot of your time indoors, and the air indoors can be up to 100 times as polluted as the air outside. pollen, allergy-aggravating pollutants, mold, mildew in the air. My system, folks, I had two I had two older systems. They were kind of crappy. One of them was builder's grade. But we didn't change the air filters when we came in the house, and both of them crapped out. I'm I'm not making this up. I'm not telling the story for effect, and it wound up costing us. I think by the time we were done with the ductwork, close to $20,000. You have to maintain your HVAC system, and you have to maintain your lungs, as I say during these reads. Maintain your lungs. That's your HVAC system. You got to breathe clean air in your house. You're going to be in your house an awful lot in this cold weather. Go to filterby.com. That's filterby.com. These guys, they have 600 plus filters. They can custom make them. The Merv rating on these filters goes up to hospital grade if you want to read, if you want to, excuse me, breathe really, really clean air. Filterby.com. That's filterby.com. Made right in America. These guys do a great job. It's a terrific company. They make their stuff here in America. And if you want auto delivery, say you want your filters changed out once a year, set up auto delivery. You'll save 5%. You'll never have to think about filters again. Go to FilterBuy.com. That's FilterBuy.com. I really appreciate you supporting our sponsors. It's a great company. make them right here in America. Let's back our team up. It keeps, up, uh, keeps the show free for you all, and it's a really, really solid company. I appreciate your support on that. Okay, so this is where it gets interesting. I didn't tell you this yesterday because we were over at CRTV. I didn't want to talk in front of too many people there, but mm-hmm. uh, there's a second dossier has come out. Uh, from a guy named Cody Shearer, uh, folks. The first dossier, as you know, in the case, and I explained to you, was uh, is an is an integral part of the, part of the Trump Russia fiasco, because what's alleged to have happened with the dossier is we the Hillary Clinton campaign paid a law firm to pay a company to pay a British spy, a former British spy, to pay people connected with Russian intelligence to gather bad information on Trump. The takeaway from that, very simply, the Hillary team sent money to an operation that got information from Russian intelligence on Trump. Mm-hmm. Folks, I just want to be clear on this, because sometimes we have to rewind the tape a little bit. Not That is not illegal. Opposition research on political candidates, however untoward and disgusting at times, is not illegal. I'm not alleging Hillary did anything wrong with that. What was wrong about the dossier, which would just to be clear what that was, for those of you who may have missed the beginning of the story, the dossier was a compilation of these lurid, sordid, nonsensical, farcical, ridiculous tales about Donald Trump that Russian intel provided to Hillary. It was fake. It's been debunked. It's not true. The tales were so ridiculous that how anybody believed them in the first place is incredible. The problem with the dossier is elements of it were used by federal agents to apply for an application to spy on Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Don't ever forget that. Cause remember, as I always say, 30,000 feet, remember what we're talking about. Cause people get lost in this case. Sometimes we are talking about Donald Trump and his team being spied on, being spied on by Barack Obama and his, not personally, but his administration and the effort to cover the whole thing up. Okay. Don't ever forget. That's what we're talking about Now, the first dossier, which I just described to you, Joe, has been entirely debunked, right? Mm-hmm. There's now been the reappearance of a second dossier, and you have to ask yourself why. Why is a second dossier appearing now? Now, this second dossier was not drawn up by the same people who did the first dossier, Fusion GPS and Christopher Steele. Okay. The second dossier was done by a guy named Cody Shear, who's a political operative of the highest order, right? Folks, I'm going to suggest to you because I've got a lot to get to on this. is some really damning stuff that the second, the emergence of this second dossier is Democrats in full, full blown panic mode right now. Now, Joe, you may be asking yourself, well, why I don't, I don't get where you're going with this. Remember what I told you initially when CNN had an inkling that the dossier of CNN and the left leaning media outlets and uh, you know, Democrats in Congress had an inkling that some of this may be true and they thought they'd get rid of Trump and impeach him anyway, so it really didn't matter if it wasn't. Like, if I had information on Joe and his jaywalking scandal, right, and I think it may or may not be true, but I think we're going to impeach Joe as president anyway, I just feed that stuff to sources in the media. I have not put it out there, and who cares? If we find out it's not true in two years, Joe's impeached. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Where the story got thrown for a loop is Donald Trump passed the tax cuts. His approval rating is bumped. Now the Democrats are seeing he's not going to impe- be impeached. So now they're in a lot of trouble because they fed to the media and the FBI had used it some elements of this dossier in an actual uh, legal proceeding to spy on the Trump team. And now they're realizing they're going to have to deal with it because Trump's not going anywhere. You, you see where I'm going with this? So the mm-hmm. dossier, the authenticity of it didn't matter because they thought they'd be rid of Trump right now. Is this making sense? Perfect. They figured they'd be done with them. Whether it was fake or not, folks, didn't matter one bit. The emergence of this second dossier says to me, these dudes and ladies in the Democrat Party are in meltdown mode Mm -hmm. because now they need to rescue elements of the dossier because when the memo comes out, the Devin Nunez memo that describes what we've been told, describes the spying operation by the Trump team. And I'm sure it's going to, at some point, talk about the process where the dossier was used. The Democrats are going to have to save face. Why? Because they're going to have to say, at some point, to the American public, well, you know, we... We use this dossier and here's why. So now they need to redeem it, Joe. Now they need to redeem it. Now they're going to say, oh, look, see, we thought the dossier was real because there's a second one, too, that says the same, even though the second one is just as big a BS as the first one. Folks, you see where I'm going with this? They didn't care about the authenticity first. They thought they'd be rid of Trump. Now that they know they're going to have to deal with them and that this memo is going to be released describing what they did in your name, the spying on Donald Trump with no probable cause, they are going to have to answer to this. And to answer it, they're going to start producing all kinds of nonsensical information. Like, oh well, look, there was a second dossier too. It doesn't matter, Joe. Joe, if I say Joe Armacost has red hair, and I produce a dossier that says it, and then I produce a second dossier that Joe says Joe has red hair, Joe does not have red hair. He has Elvis hair. It's black. Joe has Elvis's. Elvis, the spirit of Elvis, lives in Joe. Okay, he doesn't have red hair. I can produce 100 dossiers. It doesn't make a difference. It is not going to change Joe's hair. They are trying desperately now to save face because a couple people sent this to me on email yesterday. I appreciate the correspondence as always. And they said, Dan, can you look into this? What's the second dossier? Like this thing just came out now? The answer is no, it didn't. That second dossier has been around forever. Well, it's been around since the spying started largely. But they're putting it out there now because make no mistake what I'm telling you. They didn't care about the authenticity of the dossier before. They just wanted to damage Trump and the media with disordered nonsense, false accusations in that paperwork. Now that they realize their spying is going to be exposed, they're going to do everything in their power to have to explain away why. And one of their explanations, Joe, is going to be, well, we got a second one too, so of course it was just logical that we believed it. Now, I um, spoke with an interesting person yesterday <laughs> i gotta tell you that having an audience uh, thanks to you by the way exclusively as uh, large as we've we've been uh fortunate enough to have people reach out and once you know you establish their bona fides the information yeah, yeah i didn't tell you this so i got a call yesterday and someone said to me listen here's what's interesting about the dossier too he said there is a asset verification process joe that they go through so let's not talk law enforcement jargon here for a minute. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to use you as a source, Joe, you know, in other words you, let's say you're dealing with some guy uh, and, and he's shady and he starts talking about robbing a bank and you go to the FBI and you say, Hey guys, I, you know, I was talking to my neighbor, Bob, and he's talking about robbing a bank and you want to be a source. Yeah. In order to verify you as a source, Joe, or or what we would call as an asset, as a, a law enforcement asset, your information, there's two things that have to happen. Folks, don't forget this because it'll make this whole Trump thing make sense for you when it comes to the dossier. There are two things you have to do before doing this, Joe, swearing to it. I'm raising my mm-hmm. right hand for Joe here. If I put my right hand up in court as a federal agent, I swear to a search warrant, an arrest warrant, I am swearing that the information I have in there. Is true that or that I've done my homework to make sure it's true. Mm -hmm. The homework, you have two avenues. Joe comes in. He says, my neighbor wants to rob a bank. I want to talk. I want to help you guys out. I have to verify the information independently of Joe. I can't just walk into court the next day and say, hey, Joe told me his neighbor's going to rob a bank and we get a search warrant. The judge would laugh you out of there. Mm -hmm. So what I can do is I can go do surveillance physical surveillance like I can if Joe says hey my neighbor is going to rob a bank I can say hey guys let's go get a surveillance team let's get in a van and let's look at Joe's neighbor right not not really difficult stuff Um, what else can we do we can pull some bank records we can subpoena some uh, you know some what we used to call muds and luds back in the days right some phone records we can do an independent investigation that verifies what Joe said is true and then Joe then we go to court and we swear to it and we say we can validate the asset. Joe is an asset. Mm-hmm. I get a call yesterday. A guy says, listen, there's a pretty formal procedure to verify assets in the FBI. And he says, the one question you're not asking, which I, I, we may have, but we may not have asked it the right way, is what was the asset verification procedure for Steele? In other words, Christopher Steele's the guy who puts the, the Democrats are saying at least, I believe he may be a, on in this too, but Christopher Steele puts together these salacious allegations against Donald Trump in the in the in the original dossier, Joe. Mm-hmm. The one swore to in court. He said, "What was the asset verification process? Did is there paperwork on it? How did the FBI verify the asset?" And I thought, "Gosh, that's a that's a beautiful question. Like yeah. how? Who did it? Mm-hmm. Who said this guy's information is legit? And here's why." And he said, "When you find out." how the mechanics of that asset verification process were walked through. He said, I think you're going to find some very disturbing things. In other words, show that red flags were everywhere along the way that this guy's information were garbage. I mean, you know, I'm having this conversation last night, and it was great because the source was right about the whole thing. He goes, listen, if somebody called you tomorrow, And said like, hey, Trump's a space alien and I'm a source for it. You'd be like, that's just stupid information. But Joe, some of the information in the dossier was so ridiculous and absurd, it should have immediately raised raised red flags. The golden shower story, folks, come on. I mean, it was just dumb. It was just a stupid story that shouldn't have made sense on its face. But he said the fact that they didn't pick this up, and not only did they not pick up this, that the stories were ridiculous, that they did almost nothing to ensure that the assets, other information were verified as well, or almost nothing according to formal procedures. He said, it's going to leave a big black hole in this investigation. Folks, what I'm telling you is very important and I'm, I'm trying not to keep it too law enforcement wonky, but the reason all of this is important is because it goes back to what I've told you from episode 628 on. This was an effort from the beginning to set up and spy on the Trump team. They did not let legal formalities, the Constitution, rules or procedures get in the way. Do you understand what I'm telling you? This was like Cuba police state style tactics taken against Donald Trump at that time, an American citizen and presidential candidate. The Constitution didn't apply to him. Folks, they spied on his team with no probable cause. They used information from assets and sources that they never verified and they never verified the sources either. Remember, the only thing in the original dossier anybody can prove even happened was that Carter Page traveled to Moscow. That's it. Mm -hmm. I traveled to Moscow. What the hell does that mean? Folks, this is the most troubling case of of law enforcement corruption I have ever seen in my life. Deeply disturbing on so many levels. Now, couple other things that were brought up to me, and I hope someone's listening with some influence here, because I know some people pay attention, let's just say, <laughs> to our show. I know, because I hear it. when I'm like, did you hear that on my show? No, no, I didn't hear that on my show. You sure? Because that's the only place I said it. Uh, <laughs> I'll talk about that some other <laughs> time. It's interesting, though. I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll tell you offline. But uh, Another interesting component of this, the central figures in this, Andrew McCabe, the number two, who's now going to step down after five weeks uh someone brought up something to me that was fascinating and if you are a a former agent out there and you know something about this i i would love to do some verification myself um so let me know you know where to find me i was told that jim comey was a part-time fbi director joe which is an interesting point mm-hmm. that comey rarely worked on Mondays or Fridays that Comey worked basically three or four days a week and would would head up to uh, a different place I'm not going to say where but the information seemed uh, pretty legitimate to me especially the way it was presented to me now why is that relevant to any of this yeah yeah, right it's relevant to this case because the number two with the FBI the entire time is Andrew McCabe who is a central figure in all this whose wife is running as a Democrat for, for State Senate in Virginia and is taking money from Clinton consigliere's, lots of money. Matter of fact, she took about I think it was seven hundred thousand yeah. dollars for a state senate race. That Joe and I know politics pretty well at the local level. Probably would have cost what fifty thousand, Joe. Yeah. So there is a reason a lot of Terry McAuliffe, who's a Clinton acolyte, Terry McAuliffe money is heading to to Mandy McCabe's wife. Mm-hmm. I bring that up in relationship to Comey and his you know part time director status because one of the things that came up that was fascinating was. Who do you think was really running the FBI when Jim Comey wasn't around? <laughs> uh, Andrew Mr. McCabe. McCabe. Yeah. You're darn right, brother. Andrew McCabe, the number two, the, the 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 deuce there, right? So Andy McCabe's influence as a number two may have been as kind of a two pseudo number one. You know, like he's really in control when Comey's not around. It's a very interesting point when you put together the chronology of events that a guy whose wife is a devout Democrat running as a Democrat taking extraordinary sums of money for her campaign from Clinton acolytes is at the same time insisting on not recusing himself from the Clinton email investigation and is also then targeting Donald Trump in in an investigation to spy on Donald Trump with no probable cause to do so. Folks again. Uh, What I'm trying to paint a picture for you here over these episodes is how not just not solely was the Constitution thrown out the window. And Donald Trump's rights as an American citizen to to uh, you know to have his not to have his his uh, his papers searched and seized, his communications searched and seized by the government. Not only was that violated, but rules and procedures were violated as well, and they were violated by people who had a political, if not ideological, interest in taking down Donald Trump and protecting Hillary Clinton. Now, it's all going to flow here. Another thing that came up in the conversation is, remember I told you about Mike Flynn, how Mike Flynn was was, was railroaded. Mike Flynn, General Mike Flynn, was was railroaded. Mm-hmm. They showed up at the White House, two agents, uh, Peter Stroke and another agent. They showed up at the White House to interview him and didn't tell him it was a criminal interview. What they told Mike Flynn when they showed up at the White House, they was, he was under the assumption from what I've got from very good sourcing that it was some kind of a national security meeting, Joe. Not surprising at all because Flynn was. Yeah. The acting national security advisor at the mm-hmm. time. These FBI, which he, and he's communicated with these people before at the upper ranks of the FBI. It's not unusual. They show up to the White House and Flynn has no lawyer, nothing. And right away, they start talking about a conversation Flynn had with uh, the Russian ambassador, Sergei Kislyak, before Trump had taken office. Folks, this, there's nothing unusual about that at all. He was the incoming national security advisor. But they want to pitch this Logan Act thing where private citizens can't negotiate on behalf of the government. As I've said before, I'm not going to repeat the show. The Logan Act is not a serious thing. Okay, No one has ever been prosecuted for it in the history of the United States. John Kerry was just negotiating with the Palestinians. Why isn't he in jail? The answer is because the Logan Act isn't even constitutional. Nobody gets prosecuted for the Logan Act. But they decided they were going to get Flynn. So Peter Stroke. Shows up at the White House with this other agent and they interview Flynn. This is important. It's going to tie into McCabe in a second. They show up at the White House and the other agent in the room, he goes back after the interview and they talk to who, Joe? They talk to Andy McCabe. Who I just told you is de facto running this entire thing right now, okay? Mm-hmm. They talk to McCabe and the other agent in the room with Stroke. Now, Stroke's compromised. We know that from his texts. I don't mean compromised by the Russians, I mean ideologically compromised. He, he His texts to his love interest, who also works at the FBI, Indicate clearly he hates Donald Trump. He can't stand them um, and he, he just doesn't want him to be president So stroke the emails are devastating yeah. Stroke is involved in the whole thing stroke and the the other agent who interviews Flynn go back and they meet with McCabe They tell McCabe in the office the, the one the other agent in the room Thinks that Flynn was honest and open and sees no problem with the interview at all it's stroke And McCabe, who override this guy's opinion and decide to go forward with a prosecution on false statements. Ladies and gentlemen, why am I telling you this? Because to anybody listening out there, this is, um, I'm just asking you to do the right thing. I know who that other agent is. I'm not going to say his name. But I know some of you do, too. When I say you, you know who I'm talking about. Why isn't he up on Capitol Hill? You know, he's... Subpoena him. You need to talk to him. Somebody needs to figure out why two FBI agents, Joe, walked into the White House to interview the National Security Advisor and came out with entirely disparate opinions about what happened in that interview. Now, let me ask you a question, Joe. Yes, sir. One agent comes out. One agent says we thought he was open and honest. We didn't really see a problem with the interview. Mm-hmm. The other agent, who is a known Trump hater, who has been involved in covering for Hillary the entire time, his texts expose him as being ideologically corrupted in this. Mm-hmm. He then gives an alternate opinion. Who do you trust? The guy who said nothing really happened there or the guy who said, oh, Mike Flynn, we got to go get him? Do you I'll trust go- I'll go with Mr. Nothing Really Happened. You'll go with Mr. Nothing Really Happened because you're a smart guy. You'd be a great FBI agent. Now, what I found interesting, Joe, is Andy McCabe, the number two, instead of doing the responsible thing and finding a way to arbitrate between these two and come to some middle ground. Well, hey, why are you saying the interview was fine and you saying that, you know, the interview was terrible and we got to move forward? That's not what happened. McCabe moves forward with this prosecution of Mike Flynn for false statements to the FBI. Folks, I'm telling you, this thing stinks. So I'm asking anyone with any influence on the Hill or anyone else listening, go find that guy. You know who he is. Issue him a subpoena. Subpoena ad testificatum to come and testify. Bring him up in front of a closed committee or whatever it may be. And I want you to ask him what was said in that room. And I want you to ask him why he was overridden, why he thinks he was overridden, and why he thinks Mike Flynn was being honest in that interview. And I think you're going to find, again, some deeply disturbing police state tactics used again. Folks, this story gets worse and worse and worse. I've got some more on this because this is—I'm people are calling left and right. I have a different source on another piece of information on it, too. But I'm trying to give you all investigative tips out there because, you know, Judy... Donna and all you email, all you folks who are emailing me, and I appreciate it. We're, Joe. What we're developing is a network of like super sleuths combing the internet yeah. for information. <laughs> I'm giving you all some tips here where to go with this. I got some more in a second. Hey, today's show also brought to you by our buddies at Brickhouse Nutrition. We love these guys. They were our original sponsor, and they were original our original sponsor because I use their products. I love it. Their product foundation, their creatine product. You, you want to be a dynamo in the gym, right? Little Joe loves it, Joe son. Yeah, it's sure great. Does. Folks, foundation. I, I know I talk about Field of Greens, which is their fruit and vegetable, uh, basically insurance policy. It's powdered fruit and vegetables, so you don't have to eat 52 servings of fruits and vegetables a day, but it's really good. I talk about Dawn to Dusk, which uh, I take today. As a matter of fact, it's their energy pill product. but. Foundation's another great product as well. It's their original product. I always say with Foundation, try the mirror test. The stuff is so good, and your performance in the gym will go through the roof, by the way, with this stuff. Take the mirror test, because it takes about seven days to load in your system. It's a creatine ATP blend. It's like having two extra gas tanks in the gym. Why do I say two? Because creatine gives you an extra gas tank. Creatine plus ATP gives you two extra gas tanks, but it gives you this volumization effect inside your muscles. Look at yourself in the mirror. Take a mental snapshot. Load this stuff. Seven days later, take another look in the mirror. You are going to be very impressed. This is a great product. People love it. I get Thank you for all the wonderful emails on it. It is called Foundation. It's available at brickhousenutrition.com slash Dan. That's BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Go give it a shot. The product's called Foundation. For all you military guys, cops, firemen, public servants out there, people who need to be in physical fitness and top shape, give this stuff a shot. It's called Foundation. It's available at BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. And go do that mirror test. You won't regret it. You look at yourself seven days later, you're going to be like, he wasn't kidding. This stuff really works. (laughs) All right. Uh, Let's see. Oh. Okay, I have so many notes on where to go with this. Uh, why didn't they bury this story? Oh, this is, yeah, this is a doozy. So I get a, dude, people still say doozy other than me. <laughs> One of the things about Andrew McCabe, I was told, which is interesting. Remember, Andrew McCabe, again, is the number two who uh, at the FBI, who is... You know, for some intents and purposes, running the FBI at times. I mean, that's what the number two does So, when the number one is out of commission. From what I've been told, the number one Comey at this point is out of commission a lot. I'm hearing from a number of people that Comey's hubris brought him down in this. Now, I want to be clear on this. I because I had a little bit of an argument over the phone last night, and I think this is critical, especially for a lot of people following this case intimately who want to be kind of pointed in the right direction or the wrong direction. It happens to me a lot. Sometimes I'll say stuff and they'll be like, you're kind of onto it, but not, and the source will go, go in this direction more. One of the things I was told last night, Joe, which is pretty fascinating, this is how I know we're onto something when Joe starts like paying attention to the bike because I don't tell Joe this before, because that's how <laughs> yeah. I know if it's interesting or not. I'm not even kidding, folks. They told me something about Comey, which was fascinating. They said, for a really smart guy, Joe... He's really arrogant. Like he really loved being the FBI director in because of the you know uh, the 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 accoutrements of the office. He loved it. He loved yeah. being the pats on the back. He's the FBI director. Love people kissing his butt. I believe. And it, yeah. Yeah. You see, he comes off that way too. Yes. And the source was telling me that he thinks that plays a big role in this because Comey he does not I'm I don't know if I believe this but the source doesn't think that Comey even had an active role in the targeting of Trump. Hmm. In other words for Comey it may not have been as much malicious. Don't get me wrong, Comey doesn't like Trump. And and again, hmm. I'm giving you his perspective, not mine. So folks, please don't send me emails. Comey's a bad guy, I get it. I'm with you. I'm just giving you an alternate perspective from someone I trust who Gave me some pretty profound and interesting information. It's a different person, by the way. Said said to me about Comey that he was being guided the entire time by McCabe and Bill Prystep, who's the number one in counterintel. In other words, on this Trump thing, Joe, and the Hillary thing, that he really was, not that he wasn't hands-on, he was, but it was his sense of... I'm not explaining this well, and I I don't like doing that to my audience. The person I spoke to, I got the impression, was, was, was trying to defend Comey a little bit. Like, oh, he, it wasn't really his fault. It was McCabe. It was Price Step, It was Stroke. They were guiding Comey in a direction, and they were kind of hiding a lot of what was going on, facts-wise, from him in an effort to drive a narrative to Comey, too. And Comey was kind of a sucker. And I don't accept that. And let me just explain why. I don't explain. I, I, Comey, Comey comes off to me as a very non-humble... Arrogant person, and folks, I think it was the hubris that he failed to question his 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 upper management, his brass, his suits at the FBI, who were coming to him out of a sense of Joe. Like, in other words, maybe a better way to explain this, I can't be. I'm Jim Comey. No one's gonna lie to me. Like, I can't be deceived by my guys. That's narcissism, it's, dude. Nor- it, yeah, a hundred percent. He he just he f- could not engage in a moment of self reflection where he said to himself, like I'm looking at you now. He looks in a mirror and goes, wait. Is any of this actually true? Trump's colluding with the Russians. His dossier. He's doing golden showers. I think it's his hubris that brought him down and everyone else. Now the reason I bring this up again, and I, I I'm doing this linearly, going down my notes here, okay, is again the point keeps coming up that the person, the primary conduit to feed this information to Comey, that he's not questioning out of a sense of hubris, like nobody would dare lie to me. I'm Jim Comey. The person who who uh, Who's feeding him all this Joe is Andrew McCabe. Again, the number two. A central figure in this entire investigation. But it was Comey's hubris that 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 failed to protect him against the fact that his number two may have been misleading him. Now. That bothers me because people are now trying to run and, and and like Eric Holder, the former Attorney General, they're trying to defend the crown and defend McCabe when I think it's clear at this point that McCabe definitely screwed something up here. So just to be clear with with uh, where I'm going with this entire thing, McCabe is the number two. At times, he is the de facto number one based on Comey's loose work schedule. It is McCabe who agrees with Stroke after Flynn is interviewed at the White House to override and pull rank on the other FBI agent in the room interviewing Flynn who believes Flynn essentially did nothing wrong. It is also McCabe who decides to proceed with the Trump investigation, and he's he's also feeding information, you know, of course, to Comey, who's making decisions based on what he's getting from McCabe. McCabe is a central figure in all of this, folks. And McCabe's wife is running as a Democrat, supported basically by at some point people who are supporters of Bill, uh, Bill Clinton for a lot of money. They send a lot of money his way. Now, one other point about McCabe, and this is a hint, hint, like kind of winking a nod, Joe, <sighs> yeah. to anyone who's listening supposedly McCabe was a, um, how do we describe him? A, a briefer? You know what a briefer is, Joe? It's like, it's one of those you know, cops or agents that's really not a cop. They're just like a suit. Like they've never actually arrested anyone. You know now what I'm talking I about? I didn't know it, I didn't know before, but now I do. Yeah, like, like the FBI is full of them. I, I know FBI agents. I've worked with them. They are they're amazing. They are. They're really terrific. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that to get a pat on the back from them. they they're really terrific. They're super smart and they know their stuff. But there's a cultural divide in the FBI just like in the Secret Service. In the Secret Service there's a big divide between the protection guys and the crim guys, the criminal guys. There is. It's like the protections where you, you earn your reputation in the Secret Service. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, if you don't do the President's Detail, you're just looked at different in the Secret Service. The Bureau kind of has a similar culture. There are the street guys that caught Bank Robbers Joe, child molesters, you know, financial scam artists, the street guys who are out there mm-hmm. doing it. And then there's the suits, the briefers, the guys who do good briefs and they get in front and they do PowerPoints, but they've never really arrested someone. Mm-hmm. The word about McCabe I'm getting from multiple sources is that McCabe was a briefer. He was a gamer. He was a He leveraged connections and the ability to look to part, act the part, talk to part to promote himself up into the FBI and get the number two position. He also leveraged his connections the entire time. This may work against him in this case, but here's the wink and the nod, and here's why. Because from what I'm hearing, there were some, let's say, communications potentially with McCabe after hours That he would, I'm not alleging any, if this isn't like a one of those sexual infidelity, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about because that sounded kind of weird after hours. But after work hours, there were some communications that were likely there with McCabe about the progress of these investigations into Hillary's email or Trump and the status of those investigations. And some of it may have been on phones where those texts are easily recoverable. Now, why do I bring that up in terms of the briefing thing? Folks, I got to tell you everything. You got to have the entire scope of the story so you understand what's going on. McCabe didn't want to be left out of anything because remember what I told you about Comey. Comey's kind of like a part-time director here. He's more interested in giving the speeches than actually getting down and dirty. Mm -hmm. McCabe's the one briefing him. McCabe doesn't want to be left out of the loop. McCabe's weapon is information, Joe. And he needs that information at all times because if he doesn't have the information someone beats him into the director's office to brief the director, then McCabe's not a briefer anymore. He's useless. Gotcha. Yeah. The point of that is after hours, there was some monitoring of the stuff that was going on. And from what I'm hearing, there's some, there may be some texts and emails there about statuses of the investigation and decisions that were made that could be as damning, if not more damning, than the Peter Stroke, Lisa Page uh, emails. Yeah, it's. I got that. I was like... Do you, I, I said, are you sure? And the the source was like, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> someone's listening. You may want to check out those texts if you don't have them already. So we'll see what happens with that. All right, one, uh, one final story. Hey, Molly Hemingway, who really writes some. Uh, spectacular pieces at the Federalist. This will be in the show notes today. Please read it. Um, It is one of those debunking pieces, which you know I love because the Democrats lie about a lot of stuff and it's relatively easy to to shoot down their arguments. She wrote a really short but great piece at the Federalist. be in the show notes today at Bongino.com or if you join my email list, we'll send it right to you about Democrat lies, basically Adam Schiff lies about Mm. this memo and this process because I'm getting a lot of questions about this. People are saying, Dan, my lefty friends told me that this memo... That's going to describe the spying on Trump. It was written by Republicans. Yeah, so what? What does that matter? So who cares? Obamacare was written by Democrats. I mean, the memo describes a process, folks. Facts are facts. If the memo says an apple's an apple, it doesn't matter if it was written by a Republican or a Democrat. Do you understand? Joe, you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. The memo yeah. is not a political document. It's not a piece of legislation. It is a very simple description of events that actually happen that point to a pattern of spying behavior on the Trump team by the Obama team. Joe. Either those events happened or they didn't. Mm-hmm. It, folks, do you understand? Like, who ca- It doesn't matter that it was written by a Republican. If, if a Republican writes, you know, the, the North won the Civil War and a Democrat writes another opposing document, it doesn't matter what the North won. That's just a fact. Mm-hmm. Who cares who wrote it? It's a Republican document. It is a nonpartisan document that is, that is totally, completely nonsensical. Okay? So, some quick debunking on this. One of the points they're trying to make is that there's the Democrats, that is, and Molly Hemingway does a great job at debunking is, listen, there's national security information in this memo. We can't release the national security information. It's going to damage national security, which is absolutely fascinating, Joe, because Molly brings up a terrific point. The Democrats are now issuing issuing another memo. So wait, wait, hold on, time out. Red flag here. Let's go under the hood. So let me get this straight. You don't want to release the memo describing the process by which Obama and the Obama administration spied on the Trump team because you're alleging it's going to violate national security while you release another subsequent memo to ensure that what? if it, If people didn't get the national security stuff in the first memo, the second memo will make sure they really see the national security stuff. Folks. There is there's nothing in the memo that is going to violate national security guidelines, policies or procedures that Republicans aren't stupid. They're not going to say, hey, we have a CIA asset in Russia by the name of Joey Bag of Donuts. And he gave us this information. By the way, Russians, please don't kill him after we release this memo. That's not what don't be an idiot. The Democrats are releasing their own memo. If if, if if there's national security information in the case in the memo, why are you releasing your own? Right. A simple question. I mean, Joe, does that make sense? Yeah. Great point by Molly, by the way. It's in the piece. You'll see she she always writes I, I love Molly when she's on Fox, too. Oh, I she's, she's the one best. of my favorites. Yep. She's, she, she is an Amazon superwoman. She just wow. crushes it. She's got the best Twitter thing ever. It says in her Twitter something like, I won't be bullied into your group think, but thank you. Have a nice day. I'm like, this is the greatest <laughs> Twitter line ever. So- Another thing we're hearing, too, is the Democrats wrote their own memo, and there was a vote taken about the memo, and the Democrats are coming out going, look, the Republicans who are in the majority, in the House, we get that, Mm -hmm. the Republicans voted to release their own memo, and now they're voting to keep ours quiet. Folks, again, that is a lie. Listen to me. Very little of what Democrats ever tell you has even the remotest air of authenticity to it. I spend my entire life debunking liberal myths. Most of what they tell you is a lie. This is a lie, too. The Republicans did not vote to suppress the Democrat memo, folks. Okay? That's garbage. Here's what actually happened. And again, Molly describes this in her piece. The Republicans released their memo through a procedure first. The procedure was to release the memo to the members of Congress so they could read it first before they took a vote on releasing it to the public. Why? Because, Joe, if any member of Congress had a substantive objection, they could potentially rewrite it. They could look into things. Mm -hmm. If there was some national security things disclosed they missed, they could take that out. Makes sense, right, Joe? Right, yeah. They said to the Democrats, if you're going to release your own memo, we're going to subject it to the same process that's the vote that was taken, which the Democrats said, no, no, we want to release it on our own and they're the ones who objected, not the Republicans. It's a lie. It's made up. It was about, do you understand what I'm saying, Joe? It was not yeah. a vote ever to release the Democrat memo. It was a vote on the process, which the Democrats didn't like, At- and the Democrats squashed. Right. But Adam Schiff said it is a bunch of crap. Yeah. And everything Adam Schiff says is crap. Yeah. And he does it, he, he so eloquent uh, eloquently you know, speaks out as crap that people believe him. I mean, he's 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 a believable liar, which is always dangerous oh what else oh there's another myth about this is that they didn't notify the minority party of these investigations going on into the doj and the fbi in other words the memo that describes joe yeah. a, a procedure and a process by which they looked into the doj and the fbi the democrats are saying well you know you didn't tell us that there was an investigation into the fbi going on really um, Joe, back in March, Devin Nunez gave a press conference at the White House about disturbing things he saw. At the, I mean, are you the only idiots in America who didn't know there was an investigation going on by the OIG into what happened with the FBI during the Hillary Clinton email thing? Like, are you lost? Are you clueless? Are you insane? Had, again, this is a total lie. Oh, you don't even have to be a member of Congress. You just have to turn on the news. It's just complete nonsense and garbage. Finally, again, one quick thing I just wanted to debunk again is this partisan document thing. It is not a partisan document. It is a Republican written document that describes things that actually happened. And one of the things the Democrats are going to hide behind because they're devious, Joe, is important. Mm -hmm. They're going to say, well, if you're alleging that, say, the Obama administration on this date did this thing, Joe, and they spied on the Trump team using these methods on this date. Yeah. The Democrats are going to say that's a lie. Release the release the uh, source documents on that. Well, Joe, the Democrats know. They know you can't release the source documents. Why? Because the source documents would describe sources and methods and would release national security information. And the Democrats in a dipsy do flip know the Republicans will never vote on that because they don't want to compromise CIA spies, NSA methods, or anything like that. But this is the <laughs> devious Democrats, aren't they? They're amazing. They are the Bingo. biggest, worst manipulative liars you've ever seen. They're going to say, I don't believe any of that. Obama didn't do that. Uh, Republicans, if, <clears throat> if you don't release the source documents on that, none of that happened. You're just making it up. Knowing the Republicans will never do that. This is the, the crap. I was just going to say something else, which is bad. <laughs> this is the crap we have to deal with all the time with these people. Folks, they're maniacs. I'm telling you, they are absolute maniacs. These people are so entirely corrupted, it's pathetic. But read the Molly Hemingway piece. I'll put it in the show notes. Hey, one other great piece I have in the show notes today. Um, it's a good one sent over by a listener. Thank you very much from Investor's Business Daily. Uh, on, we'll leave you on a good note. Folks, wages are rising again. of small businesses saying they're thinking about giving significant raises and bumps. The economy's coming back. Wages are going up. They were stagnant in the Obama years. Read the piece. It's a short one, but it talks about the survey data out there. I think the economy next year is going to rock and roll. I think we're in a really great place. So I think those midterms are going to be a little rougher for Democrats than they expected. So give the uh, the piece a read. It'll be at the show notes today. It's really quick, but it's a good one too. Hey, thanks again, folks, for tuning in. I appreciate it, and I will see you all tomorrow. You just heard the day